Good afternoon. It's Monday, July 22nd, 2019 at one o'clock Eastern time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Kristen Gowan. I'm the Director of Digital Strategy for Union College. And on today's live broadcast, we're talking about the results of a secret shopping study conducted by my guest, Will Patch, who we'll get to in just a second. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network, and all of our episodes offer direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be a part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's live discussion by tweeting us using the hashtag HigherEdLive. HigherEdLive is produced by M. Stoner, a digital first agency tailored to, committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. For most of us, there are a few decisions in life more complex, expensive, or impactful than the college choice. As marketing and enrollment professionals, we must understand the factors that drive this important choice, as well as the thoughts and emotions our target audiences experience in order to develop empathy for the groups that we serve. Would you like a tool to help navigate these challenges? Enter the experience map. Join M's donor on Tuesday, August 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 Pacific for their free webinar, A Mile in Their Shoes, Building Empathy Through Experience Mapping. You'll learn the seven benefits of an experience map and discover how it can impact your enrollment and marketing strategy. We'll be tweeting out a link to the registration information shortly. But let's get to the show today. My guest is Will Patch, enrollment marketing leader at Niche. Prior to coming to Niche, Will spent nine years at Manchester University in enrollment management. Will began as an admissions counselor and quickly advanced to become the Associate Director of Admissions Operations before serving as the university's digital strategist. In this role, Will oversaw student research, student search, SEO, user experience testing and optimization, digital marketing and analytics, and reporting for enrollment and digital assets. Today, we're going to be talking about his eight months of secret shopping conducted at 48 higher education four-year institutions, mostly in the Midwest of the U.S. and representing a collection of public and private institutions. And of course, don't hesitate to ask questions, hashtag higher ed live, and I'll do my best to ask your questions. But first, um, I have a few of my own for Will. First off, can you share a little bit of the overview of your research and how this project came about? Yeah, absolutely, thanks. I'm, I'm really excited to do this. Um, I, for me, higher ed live was a big part of my growth and development. And I hope there's others out there that are, that are finding the same thing. Um, so this all started uh, because I'm really interested in benchmarking uh, and testing and improving what we do. Uh, and I just wasn't finding that out there for the, the communications flows that we send. Uh, that's such a big part of our budgets uh, in colleges. Uh, so how do, we, how do we know what we're doing actually works? Um, so for me, I wanted to actually be able to behave like a student and see what are people telling us what are what are the colleges actually sending out um, you know I did all this back when I was at Manchester still uh, I kind of laid the groundwork on uh, the spring of 2018 uh, I did a very small test group I wanted to make sure that, that I was collecting the right information that I was testing it in a way that would make sense I could actually get some good data um, and and two I wanted to see what that late spring conflow would look like um, you know, if someone came into your system in the spring and says, hey, I'm interested at the last minute, in my mind, that's someone you should jump on right away. Um, I found out through that test that, that wasn't the case. Um, communication tended to be slow. There were some schools that didn't respond at all. Uh, so 
that kind of laid the groundwork for this much larger test. Um, and so in August of, uh, of last year, I actually went through um, and tried to sign up for 49 schools. One of them actually uh, has no inquiry form, I found. Uh, it was a school that I had tried the prior year on the spring to actually secret shop them then, couldn't find an inquiry form. Uh, Google search actually even turns you to a page uh, that says there is no inquiry form, please file an application. Uh, in the fall, that was still the case. Uh, so only 48 schools got to be a part of this. Um, so I looked at our peer schools. Um, so I'd actually developed some benchmarks um, with institutional research where our peer schools would be schools that look like us using iPads data. Um, and then our aspirant list, which was a list of schools who looked like the way we want to look in three to five years. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of those, I, I had a spreadsheet of data and allowed about 25% um, variance in those in terms of incoming classes, GPAs, um, things like Pell eligibility, just trying to find schools that were gonna look and behave similarly. They had to be in a small town uh, or small suburbs. Uh, so we weren't comparing ourselves against someone in the middle of Chicago or LA or Boston mm -hmm. uh, that's gonna behave very differently than a school in rural Indiana. Uh, and then I also paired in some others. So I looked at some outreach schools. So schools that I either knew people at or I knew they were doing cool things in other places. I wanted to see, okay, how are they actually communicating with students too? Uh, and I had some schools that were gonna be our regional competitors. Uh, schools we saw students cross-apping with that we knew were similar to us, uh, but didn't necessarily fit into those peer aspirin categories. Very cool. So how do you actually get started in something like this? It seems like it's a huge behemoth of work. Where do you start? How do you get going with all of this? <laughs> uh, it was. It was a huge amount of work. Um, and really, if this is something someone wants to do, you can do it very easily with secret shopping yourself. Uh, have someone, either you can do it, um, but I think there might be more value in having someone else from the school actually go in and fill out your inquiry form and give you feedback. Someone outside of admissions who doesn't know what it's supposed to look like and, and doesn't necessarily give you that, that pass on some things. Um, that can be a professor, that can be an administrator, that can be a student. Um, my suspicion is a student might not have the time to be recording everything. Um, so I actually, I, I made the list of schools I wanted to do first, mm -hmm. identified their actual website, so I wouldn't accidentally go to the wrong one. Uh, we were talking beforehand about there being multiple unions. Uh, you know, if we're talking about, there, there's so many duplicates and names uh, or very similar names that I wanted to make sure I was getting the right school. So I did some research there um, identified where their inquiry form was, and then one day just sat sat down and filled them all out. So that way I was testing apples to apples. It wasn't was a common flow that starts on a Friday look like compared to a Monday, because they have some some things that are going to be um, very manual. They just might look very different depending on the day of the week. So I wanted to see same day what happens. Um, so I went through, identified all those, had a spreadsheet where I could log the date that I that I actually fill out the form, date of first contact. Um, and then I had basically some drop downs where I could say, did they send me a email, mail piece, um, personalized piece, a call, a text, um, and then the date stamp on all those. 
And I had calculated fields telling me how many in the first week, in the first 30 days, uh, and beyond that, the total communications of each time. Uh, so ultimately, this group wound up, again, primarily being Midwest, uh, because Manchester is located here in Indiana, uh, but it included schools coast to coast. We had some California and Washington schools. Uh, we had Florida. We had uh, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York. Um, so it wasn't all lookalikes, essentially. Interesting. So why do you think it's important to do this type of competitor research? Like, what what was it at the beginning that you thought, what questions were you looking to answer, I guess, is kind of what I'm thinking there. Mm -hmm. um, part of it is that curiosity. Uh, you know, when you're at a college fair, you can go around, you can see everyone else's print pieces, and you hear what everyone else says, and you see the billboards, you see the TV ads, all that. Um, but you don't know how do people directly communicate when you know that someone has asked for information? Um, what kind of emails are we getting? How are they using students? How are they using faculty? Uh, the sad part is primarily they're not. Uh, but for me, I want to know where do we stand uh, and who's doing things really well? Um, I think a big part of it was wanting to know sort of a starting point. Are we doing things similarly to everyone else? Uh, are we sending way too much of one type of communication? Are we way off somewhere else? Someone else do things so completely differently. Uh, and I can look and compare that. I looked at yield rates uh, based on iPads data uh, to see was there a correlation between the schools that maybe sent a whole bunch of postcards? Were they more likely to yield a student uh, than someone who sent a lot of email or vice versa? Uh, Overall, there wasn't a lot of correlation there. Uh, there was a small negative correlation uh, with the schools who sent a lot of information and, uh, and their yield rate. Um, so that maybe is a cautionary tale, uh, that the more, the more information people were sending, uh, the lower the yield got. Um, so for those schools out there, the ones who are still 11 months later sending me emails, uh, may want to reconsider that. Uh, just in general, I saw a lot. Uh, I don't. I don't know what students are getting. I know they're being bombarded everywhere else. We're in social media. You know, we're all trying to get in front of them where they're at on their phone, running digital ads. You want to be in their apps. They're bombarded with information already. So, are we doing them a service by providing useful information? Uh, and that can be in print, that can be an email and digital, uh, or are we just adding to that noise? Yeah. So what are some of your main takeaways from the research? What are the big themes that you saw? Yeah. So jumping into, jumping into some of the slides that I had done, and these are available. I think there was a, a link available for this. Yep, I just um, tweeted out for everybody who's watching at home. Um, if you go to the High Red Live, Hashtag, I just tweeted out so you can follow along with Will right now. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so there, there's a few. I kind of summarized things on this. It's available on SlideShare. Uh, if you don't want to look at it now, you know, perfect. Uh, there's also a data dashboard if you want to dive in and sort of filter things your own way. Uh, the big thing for me was just the sheer volume. Um, I actually, uh, when my parents moved, they, they apparently still had two boxes of printed college material. Uh, and, and when I going into my senior year of high school, um, 
and this was about 20 years ago now, but um, I had received information from about 100 colleges. So looking at the volume of information I received from secret shopping, uh, I extrapolated that out. During my senior year, if I was a senior in high school right now, uh, those 100 colleges would have sent me over 2,600 pieces of mail and email and calls. I, I can't sift through that. I can't make sense of that. Um, that would feel like over overload. Um, there was recently this spring, I know Longmire did some research um, surveying students and families. Um, it was just an enormous number of students and parents saying that they were delaying or not making a college decision because they felt like there was too much stress. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, if we're sending out that much information and every day you go out to your mailbox and you're picking out a handful of, of pieces, plus you check your email and you got 10 more emails that day, you know, and this is just inquiries. So when you think about people buying prospect names, it may be a school you've never heard of, didn't have any interest in, and they're emailing you daily and they're sending you mail. I can see why that might start to get overwhelming. Um, so that was a big thing. There's just so much stress, so much noise. Um, I know we want instant response. Uh, we have a great tool with autoresponders, uh, but only about a quarter of schools actually use an autoresponder. That's something that should be automatic with any CRM. Uh, if you don't have your autoresponder set up, you're missing an opportunity. Um, it may seem picky, but little things like, you know, just sending them an email where if I scan it, I can tell by the subject line or the sender who it's from. Uh, there were a lot of schools that that wasn't the case. Uh, it would be a generic string of numbers and letters for the sender. Uh, and huh. then, so, yeah, it, it amazed me. Or the subject line would be something like, thanks for inquiring. Okay. For me, I inquired to 48 colleges on the same day. I don't <laughs> know who this is from. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, in general, private colleges had more ground to make up in the responsiveness. Uh, all of the public universities responded, the ones that did respond, um, and fortunately, there were over 10% who did not respond at all. Um, but of those who responded, they all did it within a week. And so that's, that's pretty nice. Um, you know, it's, it's better if you actually can get to them the first day. Um, there was no segment where over half of schools actually responded in the same 24 hours. Uh, so that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, I was hoping there'd be one segment that I could say, okay, these people are doing it right. And that's really awesome, but mm -hmm. not quite the case. Um, Private universities, there were, I think it was about 8% of schools, their first contact came one month after I had inquired. So if I go in, and, and I, I, like, I like analogies, I guess, but if I, if I was walking into a store and I said, hey, you know, can you tell me more about this TV? And someone just stood there and stared at me for a month, I'm not buying that TV. Um, you know, if someone can get back to me and give me an answer, great. Um, these people, these are inquiries. This is someone saying, I want to know more. Um, the other the other realization I had was how bad we are at realizing what a student's asking. Uh, they're, essentially, your, your inquiry form, the call to action there is someone saying, I want to know more about Union. I want to know more about Manchester. I want to know more about whatever your school is. Almost every first response was essentially, here's how to apply. I didn't ask that, though. 
if I wanted that, it's it's on your website. Uh, mm -hmm. If I want to know more about that, that's easy to find. Um, these students are saying, I want to know more about how I might fit in on campus. I want to know, is this going to be the right fit for me? Is this going to be my home? Uh, and almost no schools actually answered that question. Um, there was actually even one school that every one of their postcards just said, apply now, or here's the application deadline. So I'm getting all these, I think that was one that sent over five postcards too. And never once did they send something that said, you know, I told them what my major interest was, but they didn't bother telling me, you know, here's how you can fit into our business programs. Here, here's how you can fit mm -hmm. in on campus. Um, here's what residential life looks like. Um, there's one school that did a great job, I thought, and um, they were in Kansas. I'm inquiring from Indiana. They sent me a packet of information about what it's like to live in Kansas City. Um, you know, I, I don't know what that's like. Um, you can do some segmentation by zip codes too. And so if you have a kid coming from a rural area and you're in a large city, that's going to be a culture shock for them and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. I know I had, a, I had a roommate at Manchester who was from Los Angeles. Going from Los Angeles to rural Indiana is slightly different. Um, <laughs> so, so if you can speak to that and say, we know it's going to be some adjustment, but here's what other mm -hmm. students who have done similar things have, have experienced. Um, you can relieve some of that, some of that perceived pain or some of that fear that they might have. Um, yeah, so it was, there were a lot of things like that that I hadn't considered. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. when you're, when you're creating your comp flow and you're creating social posts and digital ads, you're so focused on what that outcome is that you want them to visit, you want them to enroll, you want them to apply. But if they're asking another question, it doesn't matter what you want. Um, because if you don't answer the question, that's going to add stress to them. That's going to add confusion to their process. Um, I think the schools who can adjust and make that make that uh, fit what the student is asking, what they want with what you're doing, um, they're going to be the ones who, who are winning more. Uh, yeah. A couple of other really cool things I saw. Sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. So... There was actually one, one, and only four, only one, unfortunately, who actually had the inquiry form embedded in every single page. Uh, huh. So regardless of where you were, you saw right there. Here's all the fields. Here's how I fill it out. Um, mm -hmm. There was another one who had embed in all their admissions pages. Um, some had an inquiry form link on most pages. Uh, so there's things there that are important. Um, anyone who's looking at at website data knows that. Your, your homepage is not the only landing page. Every mm -hmm. single academic page is a landing page for students. Uh, if, they're looking for, um, if they're looking for biology, they aren't going to go to the homepage, do a search, or go through your, your areas of study page and go there. And oh, by the way, I'm also going to go to the admissions pages then. They're yeah. going to do a Google search, they're going to do a Bing search, whatever, and land on that biology page. Yeah. The one thing that really resonated with me that you were talking about was shifting messaging from less call to action and more storytelling. Mm -hmm. We actually really had that experience here where we learned that, you know, we, you know, years ago did social ads where we're like, oh, we're going to do uh, you know, apply now and, you know, all of that, like you were just talking mm -hmm. about. It's like there's no engagement on those because it's not yeah. really telling you anything so we started doing ads that were more interdisciplinary learning undergraduate research or programs you might be interested in 
And those people were like, oh, okay, like here's a great video to watch. Here's a student profile. Yeah. Great. So I, I think that is really interesting when we're talking about messaging. We love to tell people when the application deadline is or whatever, but you know, we have to get them there first. And the messaging yeah. to really resonate with them to get them there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and with our digital ads, I saw a much higher engagement. We, we did a lot of remarketing of our current inquiries. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a lot better engagement on the ones where they use either user generated content. So student photos, student pictures, student oh, yeah. video, um, then the very clean, polished, nice looking one that, um, that you would traditionally want to do because you want to have a professional presence. You know, if you, if you say, Hey, this is from a student, it's not going to look perfect. They shot it on their phone. Um, mm -hmm. that's going to connect better. Yeah. Actually one of the best pieces of content we had over yield, uh, this season was we did Instagram stories questions and we said, mm -hmm. you know, what's your favorite thing about union? And we asked all of our current students compiled all of that, repackaged it and sent it to the, to our uh, accepted students so they can see like, this is what our current students say. Yeah, it's full of typos. You know, there's no punctuation. Like who punctuates up an Instagram stories question properly? Not many. So uh, no, it's not perfect. But at the same time, they're authentic messages, which I think is really what this generation loves to see. So. Yeah. And really when you, and we, we always talk about that of what this generation wants and what, what millennials want, one Gen X, Gen Z, all that. Um, if you think about it, everyone though wants the same thing. We just want packaged differently. Um, mm -hmm. Here I am. I'm not. I'm not in the same generation as as the high school students. But if I'm looking to to buy something, I'm going to go and read reviews. I'm going to go look for what other people are saying about it. It's the same idea, but I'm just going to uh, you know see that. I'm go I'm going to review sites. I'm not necessarily uh, going to start my search for a new computer. Uh, by going to Instagram or Twitter or, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's the same idea, just different different content. Um, the other thing I, I realized was our inquiry forms um, asked for way too much, which we all know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not many people are taking the leap and chopping those down. Uh, the average form was almost 20 fields, uh, which mm -hmm. if you're doing this on a phone, which if you're checking your website data, I'm willing to bet a lot of those students are filling it out on their phone. Uh, you know, it's that's not very user-friendly. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to scroll and scroll and scroll, and um, then your keyboard pops up every field, and so you lose half the screen. And um, mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that, there was actually one who was asking these really persona-driven uh, questions of, you know, things like I am a, and then I could fill in the blank of I'm an explorer, I'm a builder, I'm a creator. And I was huh. so excited to see that conflow. It yeah. was one of the most generic conflows. They didn't even send me information about the major I said I was interested in. And huh. all of that that I filled out was never used in their conflow. Yeah. Um, so that huh. was a letdown. I, I'm sure students don't get as excited about it as I do, but. Yeah, um, but it's, it's, it's another way to stand out, though. If you have an interesting form, it's like, oh, this is yeah. kind of a creative institution. They're doing something different yeah. that says something about your institution. But if you don't follow up on that, that's yeah. not necessarily the, uh, the best move after that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I was looking through your research, the one thing I thought that really struck me was the importance of personalized messaging and mm -hmm. like I said here at Union we're really trying to tailor more when it comes to personalization and uh, more well-rounded storytelling. Um, can you share a little bit of the mm -hmm. some of the good examples you saw of personalization when it comes to an admissions conflow? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I really, really, really wish this was done more. I was so excited to see uh, some really great personalized content. Um, this is something that in email I, I had done in the past, really segmented by major interest or major clusters. Um, you know, you can segment by location, whether or not they visited. There were a few schools doing this. Um, it was usually major specific. Uh, I, I hope anyway, some of the emails I got linking me to different visit activities were segmented because I had not visited in the past. Mm -hmm. um, that's an easy way to jump in and say, you know, you haven't, you haven't visited yet. Here's some great opportunities to get started. Mm -hmm. um, if you have gender specific housing, sending out based on gender of the student. Uh, so if someone, if you have separate men's and women's housing, you know, if you have an email just speaking to men's housing, um, that can really, that can really help. Um, because I don't necessarily need to see or care about women's housing uh, if I'm not going to have the opportunity to live there, of course. Um, so there's things like that that I think were some missed opportunities, um, but there were some great ones um, I felt based on, on majors. Uh, there were schools really sending me specific information about their business programs. Um, there were a couple that as they launched new programs uh, related to what I said I was interested in, they send out additional uh, emails saying, hey, new program announcement. We know you're interested in X, so you may you may be interested in this too, or maybe want to add a minor. Mm -hmm. That's that's a good opportunity that, you know, maybe I was actually interested in that other thing, but I filled out business on the inquiry form because it didn't list this other program. Mm -hmm. You can re-engage that. Um, the, the caution I would throw in there is if, you're going to be doing these, this type of segmentation based on major, based on interest um, to a prospect name you purchased as a freshman or sophomore, students change. Um, yeah. So if it's not, if it's not recent data, uh, you can shoot yourself in the foot a little bit by saying, hey, we know you're really interested in business. But by the time that student's a senior, you know, they're interested in art. And so they don't care about business anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, for inquiries, it works really well because you have updated information. Um, but we need to be a little cautious on assuming too much on some of this. Um, you know, there was a missed opportunity I felt too on variable print. Uh, there were only a couple of places that did this uh, where you could have a print piece with custom fields based on what I was interested in. That's pricey, but you know, if you can send me a personalized view book telling me exactly the things I told you I'm interested in, you know, that's a way to speak to that student directly. Um, most of the print stuff was pretty generic. Uh, you know, we're, we all we all have to have basics in our view books. We all have to have that Comflow pushing our fall visit programs because, you know, we were told we had to. But if I if I say I'm interested in business and you can send me a print piece that says, here's our general visit days, here's our business visit days, and maybe a call out there that, hey, we know you might be most interested in this, um, that's an opportunity there. Yeah, that's interesting. So what are some of the things that stuck out to you most when it came to um, you do all of this research, you have all this information in this data, what immediately are like, oh, we have to be doing this here at Manchester? Yeah. Like what are the things right off the top of your head that were quick action items for you? Yeah. Um, you know, in higher ed, I don't think anything's a quick action item, unfortunately, but <laughs> the, yeah. Um, the things I really liked, there was one school, uh, 
up in Minnesota that did a great job of providing small print pieces, just little little pamphlets, little booklets, really highlighting common pain points. So talking about financial aid or or um, here's how you add a second major that you know here's information mm-hmm. about athletics and here's um, they were they seemed at least very personalized to the things I told them, but it was something real quick. I can just say, oh, I'm interested in financial aid. I don't have to dig through the view book or search through the website. We've got this piece right here is part of the inquiry Comflow, So we didn't have to wait until I listed them on the FAFSA even, which of mm-hmm. course I didn't do because I'm not a student. Uh, you know, right off the bat, especially if you have a high sticker price, we all know that sticker price doesn't mean a whole lot, uh, but to families, it definitely can. If I can say, you know, here's, here's a piece I'll put in your hand right away, you inquired, you and your family can read this. Um, in general, all of their print pieces were really well coordinated. You could tell they were all from the same school. They had a common theme. Um, you know, it, that's the kind of thing that really stood out to me. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily fall out in the data, of course, but uh, it was nice having that in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was, I think where Publix did a much better job is that their communication flows were all front-loaded. So you got a lot more information early on, very recent from when I said I'm interested, uh, and then trailed off over time, uh, whereas privates went the opposite way. Uh, they tended to give me less information early on, but boy, by the time spring hit, you know, there were schools that every single day were emailing me. Well, great, by then I emailed, I, I had inquired five, six months ago. Uh, most likely I've already changed my mind. It felt mm-hmm. more of a me being on the inside, knowing it more, it felt more of a panic piece of, oh, you know, our numbers aren't where we want them to be. Let's start emailing all of our inquiries every single day about things. Yeah, That doesn't help. Uh, it just adds a lot of clutter. Uh, there were things that the schools who use students tended to be smaller schools, um, which I don't know if that's more part of the culture that students are more involved in the process and more engaged. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels to me flipped that you know, if I'm a if I'm a large public university and I've got fifty thousand students on campus, I have a lot more students who can be helping out and making yeah. text, making calls, send a postcard. Um, the same thing with with uh, customization and personalized pieces. I only received one postcard with handwriting on it. Um, there's another one where there's a handwritten uh, address, but only one piece was handwritten. Is on a piece of stationery. They just said, hey, thanks for inquiring. I'll be uh, in your area on X date. I'm your admissions counselor. I'd love to talk to you. That stands out. But again, that was only from a small school. Um, and maybe it could just be that, you know, at a large school, you just don't have, have the time. But, you know, if you have someone inquiring and saying, I want more information, that's very different. Um, and especially if you're an in-state school where you know this person is much more likely to come, you know, spend a little time making that personalized, make them feel wanted. Uh, that's mm-hmm. all, that's all students want. One thing I think we talk a lot about in admissions communications is email content. I think, you know, it's how are we going to get students' attentions and what are we, um, what do we think is going to resonate? What are some interesting things you saw in email? I know you've seen a lot of them through your research. Um, what are some like what's an interesting message or maybe a compelling subject line um, to throw out there for people to kind of get a better understanding of what do you think really stuck out in this huge crowd? Yeah, there was, um, 
there is one that that did a great job of providing me a, a fairly basic email outline you know here's um here's more information about us or the facts of why we're important and all that but here's links to other things you may be interested in um not one of those was you know here's our application deadline apply now it was here's how you can learn more on our website here's how you can reach out to me directly you know if you want if you want that personalized touch you know get in touch otherwise here's where you get specifics on what you said you wanted um that felt nice um i noticed that the schools who use an emoji in the subject line really stood out in the inbox when you have just a block of text uh, if you have just one emoji, great. Uh, there's one school that went overboard and had, I think, four or five in every subject line. Don't do that, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just one that's related can really make it stand out. Uh, having the school name in the sender. Uh, so, you know, if it's Alex from Manchester or whatever, uh, I know right away, oh, you know, I, I talked to Alex at my high school or I've seen that name before. Um, mm -hmm. Just saying Alex you know, I don't, I don't necessarily connect the dots there when I'm talking to this many schools uh, or the ones who even as part of their comm flow just had a string of numbers and letters. That tells me absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, just having, having some level of personalization um, really was nice, knowing that, knowing that they at least were able to merge my name in and talk to me rather than this is bulk email on the nurture flow number five. Uh, and I know every student's getting the same thing because there's zero personalization in there. No counselor name merged in even, nothing. Uh, those were the emails I felt like I didn't get a lot out of. Mm -hmm. So you got quite a response. I thought it was interesting on Twitter when you posted this to the enrollment marketing community online on social media. What are some of the things that you're hearing from colleagues about your research uh, from your peers at different institutions? Yeah, I was actually amazed. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that initially I was just going to use it internally, and then I thought, well, you know, others might have an interest in this. I haven't seen anyone else sharing it. Um, and I, I feel like that's how I learned a lot, was people shared what they had done and shared what they had learned. Um, counterintuitive because to a degree we're all competing with each other in admissions uh i took more of the case model where you know let's just allow people to copy and steal everything and we can you know learn from each other and 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 help i was there were a lot of people really appreciative and really thankful um and i hadn't really expected that i thought a few people might find it interesting a few other uh people who love data like i do uh, but it was just a, a big outpouring of support for it. Um, the initial tweet just saying, hey, I did this thing. Are you interested? Uh, got over 5,000 impressions. Uh, the the actual short presentation summary I put on SlideShare uh, was actually viewed over 700 times just in the first few weeks. Um, mm -hmm. I was not expecting that at all. But yeah, I was, there, there were things I hadn't thought of um, that I think will help inform if I'm going to do this again for four years. Um, I could think about um, there was a need apparently in two year and transfer. Um, that's areas that I honestly don't know enough about. Um, I mean, we had transfer population, but I know those tended to be more high touch because every case is going to be slightly different. Um, so those are things that apparently no one's put that out there, but 
could be interesting. So we have a question from Periscope. Okay. Will. So when creating content, should you focus on answering question or telling a story or combine the two? So well, storytelling, call to action, or a hybrid of the two? Yeah. I think a hybrid of the two. Um, but I think most of the time you're going to answer a question by telling a story. Uh, if you, you know, if you are sharing student stories, no matter how you're doing it, unless you're just saying, hi, my name's Will, I'm a student at Manchester and I'm a mm -hmm. such and such major. You're kind of telling a story, but that's not compelling. Uh, but if you're able to tell a story and say, you know, I'm from a uh, small town, Indiana. And, and so for me, I was on the opposite end that going to Manchester was so much bigger than what I was used to. And uh, I came in thinking I was going to be uh, an accounting and economics major. And then I wound up graduating chemistry and psychology. Here's what it was like to change majors. I was involved in these clubs. You're answering student questions before they know how to ask them, uh, which I think is really important. That a student wouldn't necessarily know in high school to ask, can I change majors or what's it like to change majors? Um, but you're answering that question for them before they have it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they know, oh, okay, it's a painless process or, uh, you know, maybe I need to think this out a little bit more. Maybe I want to come in undecided uh, because it's more difficult to change majors logistically. Um, I think a good story will answer those questions. Uh, so if a student's looking for that answer, they can find the story. Uh, but if they just watch it, they're going to learn something from it anyway. Oh, that's a really good point. I love the idea of answering the question before they actually even have mm -hmm. the question. That's a really good point. So yeah. with all of the feedback you've heard from uh, your higher ed peers and I'm sure your colleagues at Manchester, what other areas are you thinking about exploring next? I know this was a huge, uh, huge undertaking, but what other things? I know that this is the type of thinking that you do one thing and then other things pop up. Yeah. What is? What are you thinking about exploring next, or what do you think would be interesting for others to explore in the admissions yeah. process? Um, I'm, I'm enjoying a bit of a downtime here. I was actually, I've got a 10-month-old son, and I was feeding him this morning. It dawned on me that his entire life, I've been bringing stacks of college materials in uh, to the house. So it's nice having a little break from our mailbox. Um, I think for me, I love research. I love benchmarks. Um, Things that I need to learn more about, uh, I would say, would be transfer in two-year. Uh, there is apparently just a, a big need there to look at the comm flows. I don't know how standardized they're going to be. Uh, I've mm -hmm. had some conversations already with people. Um, two-year in general is interesting to me because you have so many populations. You're dealing with students who are currently enrolled in high school, who are taking some classes. You have students who are just out of high school, uh, who are starting a two-year school, or maybe they they are doing a career where they only need a two-year, they just want to learn something more. Uh, you have people coming back, um, you know, maybe gain additional licensure, maybe people just coming back for a class or two. Two-year would be extremely complex. Uh, that's something I'd be interested in learning more. I think it's a fun challenge. Uh, so anyone who who is listening to this and works at a two-year school, please find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, and teach me something so I can make sense of all this and, and hopefully do some more benchmarking there. Uh, one thing that's in the works right now um, is doing some application benchmarking, uh, saying, I want to see of students who are starting an application, are there differences in the type of school or type of student? 
that determines whether or not they actually complete that application. Um, hmm. We So one of the things I had done when I was at Manchester was actually using our website data, found that we had a lower completion rate on mobile uh, for our applications. So we were able to go through and make some changes, make it a little bit more mobile friendly. Completion rate shot up. Um, that's just one school's data. If I can get a lot more, you know, maybe we can see, see something that makes sense. And maybe we see that, you know, students in rural areas, rural zip codes are less likely to actually hit submit. Let's do some specific outreach as a community uh, rather than having to rely school by school. If we can provide resources to high school counselors, great, let's do that. Uh, so there's something there that I'm working on. Uh, one of the things I'm loving so far about working at Niche is just the sheer amount of data, uh, just being surrounded by so many brilliant people that there's a lot of really exciting things going on. Um, so there'll be more, more research we're sharing there uh, that I'll be putting out on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Uh, there's just a lot of a lot of questions in higher ed that need answered. Uh, we just need people who have the time to actually do it. Um, I think most importantly, uh, I'm part of a community on Twitter, uh, the smokers of EM, so people who enjoy doing barbecue. Uh, so I think I need to do some secret shopping there and go around and test people's barbecue and um, yeah. I have some, some place I need to go around and, and do some quality control. <laughs> well, you certainly hear about secret shopping a lot in the restaurant business, but I think yeah. it's, it's approaches like this where you were very creative in bringing something that's traditionally in other industries into higher education. I think that was why this was so successful. But um, do you have any other thoughts or anything, any other wrap-ups? Um, we are almost out of time here. Yeah. Um, I think the big things, you know, this isn't something, and I was very deliberate on trying to keep any school names out of this, keeping this anonymous. If someone did a really great job, I don't want them to get inundated with, um, with fake inquiries, essentially, to, to waste a bunch of materials. I think that's the importance of sharing this, is mm -hmm. that one person can do it, and a lot of people can reap the benefits. Um, that way, we're not having each school dealing with 50, 100 people secret shopping them. Um, <laughs> you know, let's, let's share what we've got. Secret shopping in higher ed isn't new. Um, I know other people who have done small studies. Um, I just think we need more people sharing what they learn, which I know can be hard because, um, you know, people may steal what you learned and do it better than you were going to, but, you know, let's learn from each other and let's help out. Uh, that's what have been one of the great things I found on Twitter. There's the hashtag EM chat community. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a great community of people sharing information, helping each other out, answering questions. Um, it's really sort of the best of what education has to provide. Uh, it's definitely a bright spot on social media right now. Uh, so that's that's my plug in there. Yeah, and we certainly love our higher ed live community and mm -hmm. obviously all of the social media hashtags. I think that's the one thing when I got into higher education, I was completely amazed by is the tight community on places like Twitter where people, you can have conversations for years with people and you never meet them in real life, but you can mm -hmm. share information and have a meaningful colleague relationship there and learn from other people in far flung places, which I think is so amazing. Yeah. And then people. you see each other at a conference and you you act and like best friends with each other for years. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you everyone so much for tuning in. And another big thank you to my guest, Will Patch, who is now at Niche, but make sure to follow him on Twitter at Will underscore Patch. 
And thanks again for watching and everyone have a great rest of your Monday and we will see you next time.